Welcome to episode 140 of the Startup Show. Today we are here at the office of Danny Gutenberg, who is a partner at VI Partners. And we are talking about the early days of when he invested in Facebook. We also talk about the importance of industry expertise, but last but not least, why you should be building a unicorn. Make sure to stay tuned. Welcome to episode 140 of the Startup Show. Today is very special because after a very long time, I finally have back on the show an investor. So, Danny, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Um, you know, as usual on the Startup Show, coming from interviewing so many startups, it would be great if you introduced yourself like in a few sentences about yourself. Well, thank you for having me. I'm uh, born and raised in Zurich, uh, where I still uh, spend most of my time. I'm uh, having an engineering background and I have started uh, investing into startups uh, in the mid-90s already. So I've been for a very long time in the business and uh, still enjoy it very much to work with young, innovative and uh, people full of energy. Before every show, we make a little bit of research. We ask uh, common friends and shared connections on LinkedIn what they would like to know. And one of the questions that came up from, I think, even two people is that they wanted to know about your background from Hawaii. Um, that's, that's what they said. Like, there is some interesting story about like, how you built basically from nothing. So maybe you can elaborate a little bit like, on the early days. So yeah, even before Hawaii, I was uh, first in California, mm -hmm. uh, University of Santa Barbara. Became uh, a ski bum in, in Utah <laughs> for four months. And when the season was over, I got myself by pure luck and coincidence a job as a windsurf instructor in Hawaii. Yeah. And I spent uh, three years in Hawaii until I couldn't uh, be there anymore because of lack of uh, work permit and uh, visa. That's when I started my career in, uh, in IT. Mm -hmm. And then you had like Netscape, what was it? Like one of the software companies? I had uh, a distribution business uh, that I started in, in Switzerland. The company was called Gutenberg Communication Systems. I was distributing different products one of them was of a Swedish company, Axis, that was just sold now uh, to Canon for almost $3 billion. And very early on, I uh, contacted a very small, at that time, very small company called Netscape, mm -hmm. uh, if I could do their distribution in Europe. And uh, they happily said yes. Uh, they were already busy with the uh, US. And this, of course, was the beginning of the internet. Mm -hmm. That's how the internet started. Because I had Netscape, everybody else also wanted to uh, be distributed. So I became a distributor for Intershop and AltaVista and Oracle and many of those companies uh, that helped uh, the internet uh, mm -hmm. go where it is today. Mm -hmm. How do you handle, like, let's say, this feeling of, of taking these risks of like, starting something by yourself? And then also, you know, when you think of like, investing, like taking this risk of giving someone money? First of all, I'm a risk taker, but not, uh, not a crazy one. I always try to calculate the risk return and I will only take a risk if there is a good chance of a good return or if I feel that I have to do it because it, you know, it's helping the world to be a better world. I really try to, to minimize the risk as much as I can 
and I have a set of key parameters that uh, I learned over the years on how to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never gamble all my money on one or all my time on one project. I always try to have several projects and several uh, possibilities. And I always had that already when I was a distributor of Netscape, if you remember. Uh, I was doing a large business with Netscape and one day uh, Netscape called me. There was this big war going on between Netscape and uh, Microsoft Explorer where Explorer was for free and Netscape was $17.90 per license and, and that was a big part of my business but I never based everything on that. I always had a few other income streams that was very important for me to have and one day I get a call uh, from Netscape and they told me, you know, from tomorrow on Netscape is for free. So my whole business died, or my Netscape business died in one day. But luckily enough, I had another 10 lines, Alta Vista, and another, a few other things that would sustain me and that uh, helped me come over this really difficult situation. Right. And that's exactly the same thing as I do today with my startups. I always, uh, I don't put all my eggs in one basket, all in one startup. I try to always have 10, 20, 30 startups running at the same time um, so that I won't lose everything if uh, one or two go um, down the drain. Sure. <laughs> you are now currently um, a partner at VI Partners. Maybe you can explain to us a little bit like what your focus is there and what kind of startups are you looking for and you know what kind of stages you invest. Venture Incubator is uh, not only currently, by the way, I've been there for 15 years now, it has 10 large investors. Uh, each of them uh, invested uh, a substantial amount of money. Uh, they are Nestle, Novartis, Credit Suisse, Hilti, ABB, ZKB, all large Swiss companies. We are four partners uh, managing that, two on the life sciences side, two on the technology side, and we are actually adding one on each side yet now. We invest in early stage, seed stage. Uh, we are very close to uh, the ETH and mm-hmm. the uh, universities in Switzerland. We invest only in Swiss companies. Uh, except for rare cases uh, where we go uh, surrounding uh, of Switzerland. We invest uh, up to a maximum of 10 million per company, uh, but usually we would start at um, 50, 100,000 or a few hundred thousand. And then in subsequent rounds, we'll augment that. One of the interesting things that I was really excited to hear about uh, is your early investment in Facebook. Probably also a story you've told a few times already, but maybe uh, you can reflect a little bit back. Um, what I'm curious to know is like, what made you think back then, I think it was 2007, if I remember exactly. correctly, that you made this investment. How were you able to tell back then? What were these key parameters that you say like, well, Mark is the guy that can do that and Facebook is the solution to some kind of problem? <laughs> so it was uh, really interesting. It was in December of 2006, actually. I invested in 2007, but in December of 2006, I already had looked at Facebook for like six months. I had requested to uh, talk to the CFO, Gideon Yu at the time, a Chinese guy. We had a phone call on the 24th of December actually, where we discussed his numbers. And I just couldn't believe his numbers. I mean, they were like so much growing in the last three months since I last talked about the numbers. Not with him, but with somebody else. That the discrepancy was so big, I just couldn't believe him. And uh, you have to remember, it was at that time a very small company, only two years old. And I just told him, listen, Gideon, I don't even believe you're, you're really the CFO of Facebook. Um, I mean, those numbers sound really phony to me. Um, that might be a, a scam. So he said then and there on the phone, listen, Daniel, I'll connect you now as my friend on Facebook. And if you still don't believe that I am the CFO of Facebook, don't invest because then you don't understand 
the business model of Facebook. <laughs> so he connected me and within a second, while I'm still on the phone, I can see that he's friends with uh, John Durr, um, a famous uh, Silicon Valley uh, investor, with Bill Gates and, and with Jeff Bezos from Amazon. And so I knew immediately, okay, this is the guy. In that second, um, it dawned to me that the only way that on the 24th of December, between mm -hmm. California and Switzerland, you could prove who you are is Facebook. There is no other way on earth that he could have proven who he is. And up to this day, I believe this is uh, the biggest business model of Facebook in the future, which they haven't uh, monetized yet on. And that's why I'm still today a Facebook investor, actually. Yeah. Well, what would that be, this business model that they haven't invested yet? The passport of, uh, of the internet. Really? That you can prove who you are. Yes, absolutely. Interesting, interesting. One of the things I think as an investor, um, you know, it's sometimes very hard also like um, when you try to build a reputation as an investor, you know, one out of 10 only succeeds um, as a general statistic. Um, and many times it's also when you look at the journalistic uh, perspective, it's hard to, to, to say take in negative feedback because you know some of these companies go bad. Um, how do you handle, let's say, this feedback when, when, when negative feedback comes in and it's hard to, let's say, deal with, let's say, the struggles of a startup? Of course, feedback is feedback and I think it's, mm -hmm. it's always valuable. And you try to listen uh, as much to it as, as you can process and, and, and use. And on the other hand, you also have to say uh, those startups usually do something that has never been done before. And you need to be able to also say, this is my vision and I'm going to try it or I'm going to let them try their vision. And until proven wrong, they should go in that direction. When I invested into Facebook, my, all my friends told me, you're totally crazy, don't do that. Do invest in MySpace. MySpace is the leader and, 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 we'll, and, and Facebook will never have a chance to get this kind of a market uh, share. Mm -hmm. And at the end, it turned out differently, mm -hmm. as you know. No, for sure. <laughs> um, what is it, let's say, about this whole investment process that like excites you so much to be like in this, let's say, VC world for the last I don't know, 25 years, 30 years? So I really like to have the best solution for a certain problem. Yeah. So to have a long thought process uh, beforehand and then have a theory and then be able to go from theory to proof. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that is really what excites me. And when, when you say, like, for example, um, one of the things that I always see also, like, when, I, when I'm preparing for my show sometimes, it's very hard to have, like, an expertise within all of these different industries. When you have, let's say, multiple, let's say you try to diversify the risk and you have different verticals and different industries, how do you cope with that? My business model, uh, let's say business model for, uh, as a venture capitalist is not to know the, the depth of the business. I think you have no chance if you invest in stuff that will only, you know, that is so much at the bleeding edge of the technology. You have no chance to know more than the professors uh, at the university is not even close that much. So I really try to focus my selection criteria on people. Mm -hmm. So I hope and I try and I think <laughs> that uh, um, that I need to be able to understand if, if, if I'm talking to a winner or not. Uh, and if the person, the CEO in, in this case, uh, will be able to go through with his vision or not. And, and that's, the I would say, 80% based of my decision is, is on that and not on the technology 
or the understanding of the technology. And, and because of that, I really invest very, very broadly. I, I do um, privately everything from life sciences uh, investments to uh, deep tech investments and everything in between. Mm -hmm. You said you also like investing uh, privately. How do you, let's say, distinguish between when you're investing in as a VI partner uh, versus, let's say, privately? So everything I do in Switzerland is with VI partners. Yeah. Uh, VI partners, like I said before, only invest in Swiss company. Yeah. And uh, what I do outside of Switzerland, I do private. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that like, I think is always interesting, um, when you are involved in so many startups, um, how you dedicate your time to each project. So how do you decide like, okay, how much time you're allocating, especially as a board member, to different types of startups? I'm trying to allocate the most time where I bring the most in result. Time has shown that I can help the companies, especially in the first three years when they put together the seed round and A and B round uh, to help them get the right mix of investors and the right pitch deck and, and the right markets and the right partnerships. And then usually in the growth stage, there's not that much value I can add. And then where I can add again is at the exit stage when mm -hmm. it's uh, about who do you want to deal with for the exit, uh, how do you want to legally structure it, uh, what, what are the key parameters that you are, or the key players that you want to uh, work with on the exit. Mm -hmm. Definitely would have been the next question, like once you like went through such a long stage with these startups such as Facebook, uh, Mobileye for example also, and then you finally get to this stage of like what you were hoping for which is the exit or an IPO. And how, how is it, let's say, number one, the feeling of getting there and saying, like, now this is the moment of, of the, let's say, the big returns? And number two, also, like, to let go of, let's say, part of, of your investment that you kind of built up. <laughs> also, my own company, Gutenberg Communication Systems, when I sold it, everybody told me, how were you able to let go and, of your baby? And uh, I don't have that big of an attachment, I have to say, to those companies. I, I invest for the goal of somehow selling it. And, and we mobilize as well. I mean, it, the point of my big enjoyment or excitement mm -hmm. is when I, when with mobilize we had 80%, 90% world market share in autonomous car um, electronics. That really, really excited me. Mm -hmm. And that was already three, four years before the exit. The exit at the end of the day uh, was a nice exit and that's what I'm living from, but it's not what really excites me. What really excites <laughs> me is to You know, having had a theory in the year 2000 about autonomous cars, and then in the year 2015 or, you know, 14, be able to say, and our theory was right, everybody else thought you need two cameras or you need radar and cameras, and we did it all with one camera, and we have 80% market share. That, yeah. that, that, that's what the real pleasure yeah. is, not, not the exit by itself, right. really. I mean, when you look at, let's say, the venture capital industry, um, in the next couple of years. Do you see like any trends in terms of like how venture capital will be done in the next couple of years? Or do you think like the industry will stay the way it is now? I don't think there's a secret magic sauce that will, you know, change everything. There is trends, uh, of course, uh, at one point, uh, everything will be on the blockchain and it will be much easier to transact, uh, much less paper, hopefully, and much less uh, lawyers involved, hopefully. <laughs> Sorry about the lawyers. That look at this, but <laughs> but oh, oh, I mean, the whole transaction uh, will be easier, it will be Uh, hopefully also possible with, with smaller amounts with more that more people can uh, invest in startups but but at the end of the day you still need you know good execution which means good people 
with good vision, mm -hmm. and with a problem that needs to be solved. Yeah. So let's look a little bit again into the future. When you look at, let's say, the Facebook of 2007 today, what is it, let's say, the companies that you would say, like, you have to be, or let's say, it doesn't have to be a company specifically, but let's say the trends that you see now <laughs> that are relevant for the next, let's say, 15, 20 years. So you mean I can't do publicity for my own no, startups? No, you can. No, you can. You can. But I'm saying, like, I, I'm more interested, like, you know, like, in the industry and the verticals that you think, like, are going to be big. Verticals, for sure. Um, everything that has to do with banking will be uh, massively changed. Mm -hmm. There is uh, way too much money going into just handling banking and, and, and that with fintech will be changed a lot. Crypto will have a big influence. I think we're totally underestimating delivery drones mm -hmm. uh, for uh, goods, but also for persons. VTOLs and, and this stuff, we're totally underestimating how fast that will come. I'll predict that uh, autonomous cars will be mass-produced and mass-used uh, within two years from now. Two years? Which nobody can believe, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and, and, and market and, share by Tesla, the majority? No, no, no. It doesn't have to be Tesla. I actually predict it's going to be somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm not even sure in which country or continent that's going to be. So, yeah. but, but the technology is here today already. And I think in two years we will be ready for mass production. Yes. In some places on the world, maybe not you know, here in Zurich, uh, depending on uh, legislation. And then I predict that um, we will have autonomous drones even before that. Mm-hmm in also mass usage or, or consumer usage. That's within the next 12 and, months. And so, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. We are actually, I have a project uh, where we are already in Island are delivering food, sushi and other stuff and also electronics uh, with drones uh, in, in Reykjavik, in a very, in a large part of Reykjavik already. We have been doing that for more than a year and uh, now got the permission to deliver to more people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we are starting the same project in the U.S. now. So, um, yeah, it will be yeah. Yeah, within months. Right. <laughs> Interesting. So one last question for, for the first part of the interview is, um, what do you see, let's say, in the local startup ecosystem here in Switzerland that you would say like, makes this ecosystem so unique? The USP of the Swiss ecosystem, I would say, is we have um, lots of money. Yeah. Lots of know-how um, from banking. We have lots of know-how in the universities. We have very well-educated uh, uh, workforce. Mm -hmm. And all this together gives us an edge in, in certain industries. Mm -hmm. What's your best valuation method for early-stage startup? My thumb. <laughs> that gut feeling? <laughs> That's about the same as from my tongue to the gut feeling to the... <laughs> yes, but no, but you mentioned before like five criteria or a couple of criteria that you have. Yeah, of course. When, I mean, when you go in seed, you have no numbers that you can rely on. And at that stage, the key parameter is the CEO. Has he done it before? Or do I believe him that he will be able to do this? Uh, but basically, for me, it doesn't really matter that much. I mean, the valuation in seed rounds are always between, you know, three and six million. It doesn't make a big difference if it's three or six. Yeah, on the long term. On the long term, it doesn't make a big difference. And also on the short term, because it also depends a lot on a lot of other parameters. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's why I also tell uh, gross companies, I can give you a hundred million valuation. That's no problem at all. Um, just let me do the terms. So you can't really take the valuation apart from the terms, which yes. is very often done.
What are some tips for balancing work and life? I'm probably the wrong person to ask. <laughs> As my wife will tell you, I'm a total workaholic. Yeah. I try my best not to work too much and uh, spend uh, a lot of time, more time now with my kids and, and that's good. <laughs> yeah. What's your best advice for someone who wants to start with a venture capital or to raise a fund? Work somewhere in a, in a startup before and try to go through all the stages of a startup from paper through first, second, third race, maybe to go broke or to an exit or, yeah. or ideally both, of course. Yes. <laughs> what do you think was your biggest mistake as a venture capitalist? Oh, there's so many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I do them on a daily basis. I don't think that's my biggest mistake, but, uh, but many people uh, will uh, refer back to my possibility to invest in Uber when Uber was, had a six million valuation. Yeah. And I passed on it because I for, simply forgot. You forgot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and the last question, um, who is your role model in the venture capital world? My role model in the venture capital world is a guy called John Durr. I met him in 1997. Uh, he was the initial investor in uh, all the big Silicon Valley companies and is still very active in the Silicon Valley. Wrote a very good book lately that he's the guy who really inspired me to become also a venture capitalist. Okay. So the last part of the video is always um, where you get about 30 seconds to leave like a legacy um, on the video. Basically you want to give some kind of advice to students or anybody who is out there who wants to get um, either hear your advice or number two, sit in your seat at some point. <laughs> <laughs> My advice is don't, uh, you know, your dreams shouldn't go to uh, become a venture capitalist. I think you should become a founder and you should try to build a unicorn. Um, as you know, I'm uh, also called unicorn hunter. To build a unicorn, it's very easy. You should try to do a product that uh, will convince a billion people or more to pay one dollar and that automatically make, makes you a unicorn and that automatically uh, probably makes the world a better place because if one billion people are ready to split with a dollar, then you probably have something, uh, a solution that is really needed. Danny, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, everybody who tuned in to today's episode. Again, visit an investor after a long time. Have a great day.